I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBSI Views podcast. With me is Jason O'Shaughnessy, Head of International Business for Investnet Yodley. We're talking about financial wellness. What is financial wellness? Let's set the scene first. Financial wellness, it actually can mean many things to many people. I found over the years with um, all the platforms that we powered, but basically financial wellness for us is Having as a consumer, I have um, access to all of my financial accounts in a single place. I can have a better view of my finances from that position, but then also easy access to my financial accounts that may give me quicker and faster access to credit where it may be more difficult previously. So those kind of things, I think, is probably a decent summary for financial wellness. Is quicker and faster faster access to credit actually necessarily a good idea? Because the one thing that seems to be very clear, and as a financial journalist of many years standing myself, I'm aware of this, literacy rates, financial literacy rates are embarrassingly low, even in developed economies. I think when we say faster, I think sometimes, you know, having access to credit, and I suppose we're not specifically talking about just loans as an example, but having access to credit in many forms can sometimes be difficult if you don't have the right tools to be able to give you the instant access to credit. So if you if you look at some of the tools out there when you apply for a loan, actually getting real-time access to your bank statement through open banking, as an example, has enabled users to be able to quickly qualify in and out on whether they're accepted for credit. And But more importantly, also actually for the lender in most cases to actually do a proper affordability assessment to find out whether actually Jason should be having credit because they might be able to see that Jason's got three loans already with three other companies and we may not have spotted that. We may have just looked at wanted to look at the data point, which was Jason has enough money in his bank account every month to pay the monthly payments. There is a problem, though, of understanding. You talk about loans there, but credit cards, for example... I spent a large proportion of my life, again, as a financial journalist, telling people that the credit card is not your money, it's the bank's money, and they're going to want it back with interest. But people don't necessarily seem to get that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a hard topic for me to talk on because we don't have credit cards and we're not really involved in that space. But, but, but you're you right. understand I mean, the point I'm making. I do. I absolutely do. I think if you look at, I mean, in financial wellness, if you look at probably some apps that have probably done a lot of good over the last probably three or four years is have you come across the roundup apps where you sign up for an app rounds up your daily spend and they put it into an investment vehicle for you and i think if you look at that it definitely helps to change um, the behavior of those users so for example you'll often see users that will round up their spend you know maybe three pounds a week, 10 pounds a week, whatever it may be. And then you find that as you start to build up savings, you want to start putting in a regular amount on top of your roundups. And it encourages you to change your behavior. And some and those kinds of apps have been very good. This is something that is not coming from the consumer, though. It's coming from the institution. What is the onus on financial institutions to get involved in changing people's behavior in this way? If you're a financial institution, I think if you're able to give your user a couple of things, I suppose, I mean, a single view of all of their financial relationships and positions. So I know exactly what I've got. I mean, in this world, many of us have multiple products with multiple institutions. If we could maybe have a single view of that and be able to make decisions of that, that's one thing. I think you've then got to look at the behavior of consumers. You know, most people, we're scared of our finances. We're lazy. We don't want to 
physically go and look for things. So even if these financial institutions are providing me tools to help me understand my finances, they should probably provide us with tools that nudge me and point me in the right direction. Because, you know, if I'm if I'm Jason, am I really going to log into an app and start looking around and seeing what my cash flow is? Probably only that 15% of the marketplace who manage their budgets at home on a spreadsheet are going to do that. But Jason's probably not. I'm probably going to go, if I get an alert that says, hey, you've got two credit cards that seem maxed out and you pay a lot. You know, if you convert them to a loan, we might reduce your bill, uh, your monthly payments by X, and actually you could pay your debt off 12 months earlier, as an example. Then I think I would do something. And I think there are too many tools that rely on me as an individual. And I think banks can provide those tools very easily. What is it that banks have got that can help them tailor things, though? We've talked in the past with many people who tell us that banks have got a lot of information, they've got a lot of data, but they're not actually leveraging that data yet, or am I wrong? Is this already happening, or is it something we're still waiting for? Kind of a bit of a both. I think there's a lot that was a lot of banks where we're still waiting for them to use that data in a way. And I think we find that we come across banks who have lots of data, but they're in disparate data sources, and different departments own different data sets, and they don't talk to each other. So I think sometimes it's difficult, but I think for the I think there are a few banks out there. The newer banks, the neo banks, t- typically tend to be more switched on. Uh, they probably have less products, so it's probably easier to understand more about their clients. But I, I think you're absolutely right. Banks do have a lot of data on you because they've got your bank account, all your spending, your life is really on there. You know, when you make when you pay bills, bills, um, when you do standing orders and direct debits, when you go out and eat, if you're not spending it on your credit card, they get a pretty good understanding of how you live your life and what you have left in your money. Now, if you spend 80% of your spend each month on your credit card, your bank is going to find it difficult to track what you do because they'll just see you pay X amount every month off on your credit card. But as a credit card provider, if they've got their customers who spend money in that way, or you're a bank and you've got all of that spend that I can see on Jason's bank account, I should be personalizing stuff for you. You know, that should be doing that. I think neobanks are starting to do that. I think to your point, the bigger banks, we don't see much of that innovation coming through, but they de- they for your point, they have the data. What are the kind of things you talked about personalizing there? What are the kind of things that we can personalize that are going to make my life better, your life better as a consumer, what can a financial institution actually do? If you looked at a financial institution with the kind of data that they have, uh, to the point where if uh, I can see that you pay a monthly fee to two or three credit cards, you know, actually actively coming out and saying to you, look, do you want to consolidate those credit cards into a loan? You know, and, and let's see if we can make that work for you. I mean, you ha- they have to try and they'll have to do more digging to understand whether you know a loan is makes sense for them. But is there an opportunity to give them a better financial product? I might see that you know Jason doesn't go below two thousand pounds in his current account every month. He should be taking fifteen hundred of that and sticking it somewhere that's going to make him money, as an example. Or you know, maybe it's the fact that I can see that Jason pays multiple subscription fees, you know, maybe 10, 15 different subscription fees, and I'm doubling up somewhere. You know, these are small little things, but there are things that I have the data as a bank. And if I'm nudging you, or even just saying, look, did you know you spend 20% of your income every month on petrol? Using that is very topical at the moment, you know, and just things that make me think about where I spend my money and maybe helps me change my behavior and look for different things. They could also partner with you know, utility companies or mobile phone providers and and offer various deals. 
I'm just thinking myself, actually, this time of year, the big drop-off in attendance is happening right now, I guess, in gyms around the country. When was the last time you went to the gym? How long have you been paying your subscription fee? <laughs> yeah, I'm probably a very bad case. It was this morning, and I do pay my <laughs> subscription fee regularly. But I do know plenty of people that <laughs> that absolutely pay their annual subscription fee and turn up two or three times a year. So that that's a perfect one. Your subscription fee on that. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you could then get usage from your health club via an API uh, that would give you all this information? Obviously, there are that that was perhaps a little bit frivolous, but there are, as you say, things that can be done. Is this something that is going to help me as a financial institution actually make money, though? Let's be brutal. They're not in, in the business of being charities. I think financial institutions need to understand that the more they provide their customers in the sense of, you know, financial well-being tools, better ways to interact with them. I think that ultimately will drive adoption and loyalty from from your customers. I mean, if you think about, you know, you see a number of surveys coming out where banks are seen as the baddie uh, in the eye of the consumers. It's kind of like if I, you know, if I think about my my bank, my bank doesn't ever offer me anything. Anything I get from my bank is is like they've closed their eyes and thrown a marketing thing over the wall and they don't know anything about me. That frustrates me because my bank should know a lot more about me. I always use this analogy. I think, you know, up until... Today, you know, banks typically put a pod or a branch near a university. They try and grab students up to have an account. And hopefully those students will have an account with that bank for years to come. But I think tomorrow, if I'm a student and I can't connect my bank through the bill sharing app or the student accommodation app or actually been able to see a breakdown of my spend to help me spend my money as a student, I think I will sign up with the banks or the financial institutions that offer that kind of capability. So I do think moving forward, and I, I think some banks now get that. They kind of look at it and go, well, the more I provide, the more stickier I make these things, then ultimately I'm going to retain customers and they're ended going to have more products with me when they go through changes in their life. Are we going, therefore, on a path that takes us to the point where the successful bank is actually a lifestyle brand? My own personal view, a successful bank could be a platform. You know, why not? Why can't I do my banking somewhere else with my bank at somewhere else? So, for example, think about these platform providers like a PayPal or or all of these technology companies. Stripe they provide an API. I should have a relationship with my bank. I should trust my bank. They should offer me all the kind of products I want from a bank. But I should be able to interact with them anywhere else, you know, and still and basically take my bank with me. That should be my experience. And I think banks are seeing that, you know, open banking is probably the first step. And with open banking, just for people who aren't aren't maybe completely aware on the podcast, it's where the regulators mandated under the payment services directive that consumers can access their data via APIs from their banks. And that's probably the first step. Obviously, that also combines payment initiation. So as well as seeing data, I can quickly initiate payments through those apps. And and that and that's kind of one step, because if you think about those fintech apps, I can go into a fintech app now and fund that app from my account without leaving that app. And that's kind of me bringing my banking capabilities into the app. Well, what you're talking about there is an example of embedded finance. It's a specific example, but this is that's the next step after open banking, I guess. You go from open banking to embedded finance, and it's going to be my lifestyle choices, depending on what website I'm on, for example, whether it's a, a shopping website, whether if it's shopping, whether it's clothing or hardware or whatever. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. Betting finance, we're getting a real impetus in growth at the moment. You're seeing it a lot. Uh, and that's absolutely right. I mean, to that point around, I should, you know, I should be able to do do the various things I do with my bank away from my bank. Embedded finance is the way you do that. And to your point, open banking has demonstrated that with the ability to see my data and initiate payments. And probably a great example is the accounting packages have used that very well for, I suppose, small businesses. And the small business could be Jane the plumber or David the carpenter or whatever you want to be. When they use their package, they want to be able to see all of their data rather than download their statements and upload their statements. And then they want to pay invoices. And before they might have to pull their data, log into their bank and pay invoices. Now they can just do all of that through a package. Final question then, what's Investnet Yodley doing in this arena, in the financial wellness arena? Where, where do you stand? We're very invested in embedded finance, bringing all of your data together. So we, we pioneered years ago the ability for consumers and small businesses to access all of their accounts through the tool of their choice, whether it be offered through a large financial institution or an innovative fintech. Personalization of that data is really key. I mean, now we're in a world where actually getting access to your data through an app, regardless of who provides that app, is kind of common practice. It's table stakes now. And so it's, you know, it's the enrichment of that data. It's the personalization of that data. So that actually, to your point you made earlier, Robin, what personal experience can I get out of the fact that you have my data? You know, can you do a bit more with that data? And that's what we hopefully bring to the party when we work with large financial institutions and fintechs. Jason O'Shaughnessy, Head of International Business for Investnet Yardley. Thank you very much.